What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Hey guys, Kelly Evans here. I want to give you a heads up about another CNBC podcast, Cult Squawk Pod. If you enjoy The Exchange, you'll definitely enjoy Squawk Pod too. It's some of the best of what you can expect from the team here at CNBC, including newsmaking interviews, analysis, and debate. This week, my friend Becky Quick interviews the Oracle of Omaha himself, Warren Buffett. And it's all part of a must-hear special week of episodes on the podcast. I'm sharing with you today's episode now, but be sure to subscribe to Squawk Pod today. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. NYC, this is CNBC Control 2. CNBC's essential morning show. PCR 2. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. All right, we're coming to it next. Today on Squawk Pod, two bobs and a magic kingdom. Tell people the facts first, and then we'll get to that. If anyone doesn't know this, my my son was talking to me yesterday. Bob, how are you stepping down? Chamath Palihapitiya, chairman of Virgin Galactic on Richard Branson's and maybe your trip to outer space. The goal is to fly Richard on a commercial flight this year. Impact investing and cryptocurrency. Everybody should probably have 1% of their assets in Bitcoin specifically. Speaking of, does Warren Buffett own Bitcoin? I don't have any Bitcoin. You don't? No. He said no, but the Twitter sphere suggested otherwise. That's why my my Twitter feed blew up. People (laughs) saying either he's a liar or Justin Sun's a liar. So I called Warren and said, Hey, what happened? Becky Quick sets the record straight in a conversation only on Squawk Pod. Those stories and more. Go wild. Whatever. Go wild. wild. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. It's Wednesday, February 26th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, two, three. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Joining us for the hour is CNBC contributor Stephanie Link. And Stephanie, it's good to have you here. Thanks for having me. Disney CEO Bob Iger is handing over the keys to the Magic Kingdom immediately. That's what I couldn't. Maybe it's... Well, not really. He's not going anywhere. I know. I he's, he's not going anywhere. I know. But, but, but it's just a weird way. This, 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 this beautiful succession that's so orderly. It's just weird that it comes down to, oh, I'm leaving today. Uh, I'm going, but anyway, I got to step down. I want to hear whether you've. I want to hear uh, your, your, what you actually know, and I want to hear some of your water cooler scuttlebutt talk. I'll give, you, you, I'll give, can, you, I'll give you my theory of the case let, in a minute. And go wild. Whatever. Go wild. Go wild. I'm right, conspiracy tinfoil. First, All right. we'll get to that. I, I, if anyone doesn't know this, my, my son was talking to me yesterday. Was he? Yeah, yesterday afternoon. Bob Iger stepping down again. Uh, as Disney CEO. It's effective yesterday and replaced by Bob Kepik, which has he done a good job at the theme parks? I guess. He's been there a long time, head of the, the company's global parks. 
And unlike NBC Universal, I was thinking, wow, he's not a, a content creative guy. He's a Parks guy. We think of it differently at, at, at Comcast, I think. Parks are important, but it was almost like a secondary thing that, we, that, that Comcast got when they bought but NBC. I would, it was I would Disney started with but, It was an accident for right. Comcast. That's what I mean. Accident, but but I, Disney started with I this. would argue both NBC cool, Universal sort of. and, and uh, Disney have been very good at, at coordinating those parks. Those parks uh, are absolutely. very much tied in with the rest but of But were it. you surprised the Parks guy would run the entire creative operation of Stephanie's nodding. Yes. Um, I thought, I, I don't know. Anyway, he will report directly to Iger, who's going to stay on through his contract uh, as executive chairman. And basically, the guy is going to report to Iger and the board. Yeah. So, Correct. Uh, but the, the, his contract goes through the end of 2021. He'd been CEO for 15 years, overseeing a tremendous growth at Disney, acquisitions like Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilm. Uh, and most recently, Fox, as well as a shift uh, to streaming with the launch of ESPN Plus, Disney Plus. In an interview, uh, exclusive interview on CNBC, Iger explained his decision. As we looked at the businesses, we felt we have a great set of assets, we have a great strategy. What's next? And what was next in terms of my own priorities is making sure that the creative pipeline of the company was really rich, that all of our creative engines were uh, working extremely well. And I wanted to spend more and more of my time on that. Okay. I'm not sure I want to be CEO during okay. coronavirus either so, uh, with, with a theme park. So here's my theory of the case, okay? okay. Bob Iger signs a new employment contract as part of the transaction to buy Fox. Rupert Murdoch stipulates that he has to be there, okay? A, that prevents him, by the way, you want wild speculation. That from pre- running for That prevents office. him from running for president. Yeah. And if you're uh, really into wild speculation, there are people out there that are suggesting somehow that this is some kind of entree to some kind of uh, a Bloomberg Iger. Now, I'm taking that off the table. That's, that's, it's, that seems nutty. That's crazy town. <laughs> However, he's still going to be in this place. Becky said it. He's not going anywhere. He's effectively <clears throat> the two Bobs are basically running this place. Bob's reporting to him. So if Bob, the new Bob. Bob doesn't work out for whatever reason. Bob Iger is still there. He's also seen many transitions where people are sitting and waiting. Why wait? Um, it's possible, and I, I hope for, for the new Bob's sake, that it works out. But if it doesn't, and we've seen this uh, uh, story, by the way, at Salesforce just happened yesterday where the CEO, Kevin Block, didn't work out. So could I, another Kevin, in this case, Kevin Mayer, ultimately step up? That's the person everybody expected was going to take the job to me. The big question mark this morning is if you are Kevin May or running Disney Plus, are you staying in this job because you thought, potentially, that you were getting the top job? Mm-hmm. To me, those are the issues that are being talked about around the water cooler. Well, you asked for the theory of the case, what happens, that's what's happening. What also, also, what happens to Disney Plus if he's not there? If, if, Kevin, if Kevin Mayer is not yeah. there. Well, Kevin Mayer just stepped into that job. What, three, four months ago now. So, but and my point is, up, you want a happy person running that because you want a happy that. person running that as well. So but Iger is focusing on that, right? That's what Iger is doing. Do you have any yeah. dirt? Uh, I was looking for dirt. I'm looking for something. I don't uh, think there's a dirt. I, right. don't, I don't think there's a dirt story. The okay. only dirt story that's even been speculated about. Oh no. Is, no, no. <laughs> is no, no. Is actually that the new Bob? I'm calling the new Bob and the old Bob. That the new Bob uh, might have had a job. Offer. Okay. There's speculation that maybe he had a job offer and that one of the reasons you wanted to do this and do it quickly was to actually lock him in rather than let this persist. 
But I do think in terms of transitions, what's the reason? <coughs> I mean, you were saying why but did get people out of the not, job to immediately? People, because if you said six months, what's the difference? You're I all know, the, but, you're, but the difference is that people say, well, what's going on? It, it, you know, it's, it's like, yeah, the, the other thing why is, do it as, that way look, if it's so well planned? Leak, I'm out of here. Come up, huh? As things leak, you want to make this move and, and, and announce it. If you're worried that there's a leak coming from somewhere, that would be another reason. Boy, was half of Hollywood and Wall Street on the telephone last night. So um, what a story. The stock market sell-off over the last two days wiped 1,900 points off the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And the S&P 500 has lost $1.7 trillion in market value. That's the worst two-day slide for that index in four years. So if the stock market sold off over 7% in the last five trading days, if that's only the fourth time it's done so since the start of this bull market, are we in normal correction territory? Or is this something more serious? It may be too soon to tell, but we do know one thing. Investors are concerned about a worse coronavirus outbreak. Quote, this might be bad. That's the CDC warning that added to uh, fuel yesterday's sell-off. Federal health authorities saying they now expect a wider spread of the coronavirus in the United States and they are preparing for potential pandemic. The CDC warning businesses, schools and communities to brace themselves and plan for potential outbreaks, saying it isn't a question of, the, of if the virus will expand in the United States but when? Meantime, a new report from The Washington Post says President Trump has become furious about the stock market slide. The report says he believes extreme warnings from the CDC have spooked investors. Now, White House officials are urging calm and sending a message that there is no panic among policymakers yet. We'll show you Larry Kudlow on CNBC yesterday, to some degree, trying to refute what the CDC was saying. Here's what Larry said. Based on the numbers we know, um, GDP, Atlanta Fed GDP now is... 2.6% for Q1. That could change, but that's what we know through February 19th. All these regional Federal Reserve ISM reports, um, they're not hearing chatter about the virus, and there is no evidence yet of any supply disruptions. Amid those new warnings about the outbreak spreading in the U.S., I want to take a closer look at how Chinese consumers are weathering the crisis, and I want to talk to Eunice Yoon, who's in Beijing, about now that it feels a little more real to us back here in the United States, exactly uh, what it means and how it really could play out, given that investors uh, on, the, on this side of the Atlantic are, are now thinking about this in new ways, Eunice. And I know we probably should have always been thinking about it this way, uh, given the plight that you and so many in, in China have been dealing with all of these weeks. Good morning to you. Oh, good morning to you, too. Uh, you know, so the new infections uh, cases have been dropping here, but it's, you know, it's that uh, you're always living with this uncertainty as to exactly how contained the virus really is. And in fact, today, the Chinese capital of Beijing announced that all supermarkets now have to make sure that all of their customers stay at least five feet apart from each other while they're shopping. And the end result of all of these restrictions is that people just don't feel like shopping. Okay, uh, Eunice, you are uh, one person I follow now more closely than ever. And I don't follow a lot of, uh, a lot of people, but Yoon TV, uh, I follow Great. very, very closely to, to see. And, and it's, it's about, you know, it's it's how your life is and also the latest uh, important news uh, as well. Thank you, Eunice. All right. In the meantime, the fight for the Democratic nomination is intensifying. The candidates attacked frontrunner Bernie Sanders and his economic policies in what was their final stage appearance together before Super Tuesday. Elon Mu is here. She's got more on what's been happening. Elon. 
Well, Becky, it was a raucous and at times downright chaotic debate. There was a lot of shouting with the candidates at times just talking over each other as they duked it out on issues from Medicare for all to electability, guns, even billionaires got name checked. I will tell you, Pete, what the American people want and Joe what the American people want. They don't want candidates to be running to billionaires for huge amounts of funding. If you're watching right now and you're a billionaire, I will raise your taxes. But if you'd like to defeat Donald Trump, Please go to PeteForAmerica.com and donate the legal maximum of $2,800 if you're a billionaire. Now, the candidates were also asked about how they would stop the spread of the coronavirus, and former Vice President Joe Biden said that he would use it as an opportunity to confront China directly. Here's the deal. I would be on the phone with China and making it clear. We are going to need to be in your country. You have to be open. You have to be clear. We have to know what's going on. We have to be there with you. Now, President Trump responded quickly over Twitter, defending the administration's decision to close borders to travelers from certain countries. He wrote, it was opposed by Democrats who said it was too soon, but it turned out to be the correct decision. Now, President Trump will be here in South Carolina holding a rally on Friday, just one day before the Democratic primary. Guys, I expect there will be a lot of shouting before this week is over. Back over to you. Yep. Um, we get complaints, Alana, about on this show that I can't hear with all of you talking at the same time. And that was my problem last night. I really couldn't hear a lot of what was going on. Uh, and I, I don't know. I'm going to start. When I want to say something, I'm going to start doing this here. Is that, is, uh, I don't think you need that. You say what you want when you do. What I, you want. I do. I'm just saying. Anyway, Stephanie, if you want to. Thanks, Ilana. Should I applaud from the sidelines or boo you? Yeah, you can do that. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, to infinity and beyond, shares of Virgin Galactic, the first publicly traded space tourism company, have tripled in 2020. We talked to the VC investor, who is the company's chairman, about the story stock. People missed out on a 75x on Tesla over the last decade. I didn't. I was a proponent of the Tesla converts. I've been shredded on Twitter for years and years, and I feel just as emotionally uh, invested in Virgin. We'll be right back. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Our next guest, Chamath Palihapitiya. He's the chairman of Virgin Galactic, which I'll get to in a second. But he's one of CNBC's favorite guests because he's not shy about any of his opinions, which is why we ask him about pretty much everything under the sun or, more appropriately, in the solar system. And probably you already know him. He held various roles at Facebook until 2011, and since his departure, he's been unabashedly vocal in his criticism of the company and of social media in general. In 2017, I think the tools that have been created today are starting to erode the social fabric of how society works. And in 2019, if you follow your morals and ethics, you may make changes to the business that literally uh, suppress the value of the business. The other alternative is just to say, you know what? Um, let's just take a hear no evil, see no evil approach, and we're going to maximize business value. 
So far, their choices have been the latter, but I agree with Richard, they should do the right thing. To that doing the right thing end, Chamath founded Social Capital, a VC firm committed to, quote, advancing humanity by solving the world's hardest problems, end quote. In that firm's portfolio, Slack, Box, SurveyMonkey, and others. Most high profile of all, Chamath is chairman of Virgin Galactic, the space tourism company he runs with entrepreneur Sir Richard Branson. Shares of that company have tripled since the beginning of this year, and Chamath has faith that despite the surge, it's not a bubble. Stand by, Joe, in three, two, one, his mic, cue. This is on everyone's mind, obviously, when the market goes down to almost 2,000 points in two days. Yeah. So what, what do you make of it? You know, I think that we are at a really important inflection point. The thing that we don't know, quite honestly, is what is the real denominator in China. Like, this is the very complicated thing that nobody knows. We've been told it's in the tens of thousands. But the reality is this number could be in the hundreds of thousands, and it could be in the millions. And then you have to account for all the people that are latently carrying coronavirus, not just within China, but all over the world. So... If you ask me, the deaths are hard to hide. So there's been several right. thousand of those. Right. But the denominator probably tells me that if, if it's in the hundreds of thousands or millions, then what we're really dealing with is something that's akin to a flu. Right. Now, that's much more of a tractable thing because we know how to deal with flus. Although, what if it's two to five times the mortality rate, as we've had some people who expect Well, this is why I think it's really important the to doc- understand what the denominator is. If the denominator is, is high enough, if the denominator is high enough it's the flu. If the denominator is as low as it is, but then the viral spread and the viral coefficient is as fast as we're being told, this is a really serious problem. So as a responsible investor, what do you do? Well, it's a really complicated question. So, you know, the problem is I have billions of dollars of private company equity. I can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just kind of holding, you know. Billions of dollars of, uh, no wonder you dress like that. You're, uh, you, you, uh, billions of dollars of of equity. It's true. I mean, it's awesome. I know, I know. know. But there's nothing I can do about that. So how do I hedge? How do you hedge? How would you hedge? You have some public market exposure. I have, I have a fair amount of concentrated public market exposure, and uh, increasingly I'm trying to find opportunities where I can just short broad-based indices and just get some, um, hopefully, relief. And then the rest of it is I come back and I ask myself, um, as long as I can re-underwrite the things that I own, just remember that I'm not owning stocks, you know, kind of the Buffett thing. I own companies. And as long as I can maintain some semblance of normalcy, this will take eight to nine months, I think, um, to roll its way through the markets and for the markets to re-rate. And I'm probably at the tail end of this in net buyer. And right now, if I can just, you know, manage my own psychology for the next five or six months by not losing as much as I think I'm going to lose, I, I think it'll feel like a win. Okay. Let's, I want to talk space because it's so exciting. Is space ahead of itself? Is, is Virgin ahead of itself? Have you been surprised at what's happened based on the fundamentals and, and where the market cap is right um, now? Is it a story stock in your view? Well, can I take a step back and actually just give you the setup? So, sure. And I think the setup not, it doesn't just apply to Virgin, but it also applies to Tesla. Um, And those two things are actually the most similar stories. And the setup goes along the following lines. First, let's look at the fixed income markets. For the last 10 years, um, everything that has looked like a nail has been dealt with the following hammer, which is print money cut rates. You know, uh, the Patriots win the Super Bowl, print money cut rates. Uh, Trump tweets, print money cut rates. Coronavirus, print money cut rates. And while that's happened, rates have gone to zero, and there's trillions of excess capacity just sloshing around in the fixed income side. Then on the equity side, the number of companies you can invest in has shrank by a third. 
there's really no growth outside of multiple expansion, and there's no growth outside of buybacks. So everybody crowds into the five technology companies, right? The FANG stocks, which represent 20% of the market cap of the S&P. So when you put those two things together, there's a setup where there's no real growth, there's no unique stories, and there's nothing that can give you long-term outlook. So then when a company comes along that has a unique narrative and is trying to do something that is differentiated, high margin, and could theoretically grow for 10 years where there's an enormous amount of consumer demand, these things get repriced in ways that are non-traditional. Sounds to me like you're saying, yes, it's a story stock, but that doesn't mean that it's not going to turn into something huge. I, I really believe in Virgin. I mean, I didn't invest the amount of money that I did or put myself on the line to do this deal because I they didn't. So when's the first it. flight going to be? It's not going to be June anymore, right? Well, the, the goal is to fly, Richard, on a commercial flight this year. This year? Yeah. But no longer June. Um, yeah, I think the point is that, you know, setting an arbitrary date for something like spaceflight is not the right thing to do. I think you want to move forward in a plan, not move backwards from a date, and give that team who are, you know, the best scientists from NASA, JPL, give them the chance and the opportunity to just build an exceptionally beautiful experience. The thing for you, and you just said it, is we want you to not say you want to be the millionth customer, that you want to be the 10,000th customer or the 1,000th customer. They're making amazing progress, like, you know, working through the FAA, working through the technical capabilities, flying the machines back down to uh, New Mexico. And then on top of that, all this demand keeps piling up, 124% increase in the number of people that want to buy tickets. We've now started to accept pre-reservations. Right. If those 8,000 people, just those 8,000 people, doesn't seem like a lot, but when you think that the price could be around 300 grand, that's 2.4 billion of pipeline. Can I ask you just Mike a, Santa, uh, a, a real quick question? Is yeah. there an insurance program? Yeah. For, no, for, for individuals? I, I believe there will be, yeah. So if something tragic were to happen, do you know what the payout would be relative to a, a regular airline? I'm I, just I curious because I, I think that's actually, I mean, I, I don't know if people think about it like that. Uh, I don't know, but I do okay. know that there will be a really robust insurance. Very quickly, Mike Santoli brings up a good question, too. Just point out that when you bought the end of the SPAC, it was at half the valuation of, like, $1.5 billion. Now it's a lot higher. Did you take Richard Branson to the cleaners, or is this current valuation overdone, or did things just change that drastically? No, neither. I think, that, I think Richard and I found a way for us to do a deal. You have to remember, like, you know, we put $800 million into the business, I mean, between secondary and primary. So, you know, there aren't a lot of people that can are walking around with $800 million burning a hole in their pocket. So we found a fair valuation for him and for me. I think the, the other thing, though, Becky, that happened is when you take these things that I just talked about, mm -hmm. you know, the dearth of opportunities and the fact that there's so much money on the sidelines, and then apply it to a unique story, I think what happened in the fall was people finally woke up to Tesla, and then people started to say, what else Can looks buy? very similar to this? I mean, you have to remember, you, people missed out on a 75X on Tesla over the last decade. I didn't. I was a proponent of the Tesla converts. I've been shredded on Twitter for years and years being a supporter of Elon and that company. Mm -hmm. We turned out to be right. The shorts turned out to be wrong. Um, and I feel just as emotionally uh, invested and intellectually invested in Virgin. You've talked about Tesla briefly, but not really, which is how high do you think you can go? 
since I know you're long? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I bought these converts a long time ago. I was, it was kind of like my big pick at Sone yep. three years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I really believe in this business because uh, what they're now moving into is beyond cars and transportation, but sustainability. And I think that, you know, strip away whether you believe in climate change or not, it doesn't matter. Uh, what they offer is a set of products that I think will be increasingly in demand. How, how much are your convertibles worth? What's the stake you have right now? That's good. It's a large number. Are you surprised to see the stock run so quickly, so fast this year? Yeah, you know, that's why I actually started to put together a framework of, like, what is actually happening. And this is what I said before. With rates at zero, with trillions of dollars of printed money, with no investable equities, companies that are unique in N of 1, Tesla, right. Virgin Galactic, are going to have a bid. Right. And then if you do something that really captures consumer imagination, retail is now going to be a huge part of it. Right. Uh, ESG. Real or marketing? It's a complete fraud. Complete fraud. It's so ridiculous. Governance has been addressed. That's useful. But, you know, this idea that you're going to get a stamp that says, oh, listen, like, you know, my supplier, you know, I've offset their carbon credits and now I understand my... It's a joke. It's jargon. Um, and I think what people are doing right now is using it as a way to, you know, for example, like, if you can paint yourself as ESG... In Europe, you can essentially borrow money from the ECB at negative rates. I'm going to come over and, and give so you a massage it's like a, now. It's a carry, it's a carry trade. He doesn't want you touching and, him. Go, Chamath. Go, Chamath. Hold on. But, but I, I personally believe in climate change. I, I know. think we need to do something. And so the problem with ESG is it's going to take years for this. But, for this, but like, when you hear J.P. Morgan yesterday say they're, no, they're not going to finance fossil fuels, or you hear Ed Bastian at Delta say he's going to spend $100 million of real money, by the way, effectively buying carbon offsets and investing in, in new biofuels every year, you say... Two things. J.P. Morgan, by saying what they said, will be able to borrow billions of dollars from the ECB at negative rates. You think that's what that is? It's obviously what it is. It doesn't have to work. They don't need to do anything. They are now getting free money from Europe for and, basically being able to say this. And you don't think they would get that money otherwise? No, because Europe basically has this condition where you can issue green bonds and you have all of this, you know, checks and balances. Okay. At the, so that's one thing. Okay. It's going to be very important for you to really be able to diligence the supply chain all the way down to the supplier and the supplier so supplier. Just Microsoft that's to a say very hard do, thing. For example, these are, these are these are useful statements. It's great marketing, but again, it's a lot of sizzle, no steak. I think that what we need to do is invest in actual companies that can go and count right. and can go and uh, you know, legitimize the actual impact that companies have so that you can do the right amount of carbon offsets. Right. Wow. And then you have to have a legitimate exchange where you can actually trade them. How so if you really believe in climate change, you've got to do some hard work now. Okay. How about your, by the way, Virgin Galactic is going to be throwing off a lot of carbon. Do you buy offsets? Galactica. Uh, Galactica. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we have a plan to sort of get to uh, sustainability. What, you do? Why? If, if it's all... it's important. He believes really, really it. He, he, he just said he believes it. The other but, stuff was great. I, I, I need a cigarette, in fact, after that. I, it was so good for me. But um, tell, tell me, um, tell, what about crypto? Does that ever become a an actual means of transacting. Yeah. And it does still. Uh, it was and I said crypto. Am I allowed to say crypto? I hope yeah, I no, can allow allowed to say, say crypto. crypto. Can I bring it up? I would really like Bloomberg to take this article that, that I wrote for them in 2013 out of their paywall. But basically, you know, my view at the time, which I've held since today, I haven't changed, is that everybody should probably have 1% of their assets in Bitcoin in, specifically. Or crypto. Yeah, crypto. Um, I still believe that today. And I think it is just a fantastic hedge. So if you go back to the conversation this morning, 
when you see the amount of leverage the financial industry is running and you think about all these dislocations and all these exogenous things that are happening that you can't predict, there's a lot of risk to the downside. And it would be great that an, an average individual citizen of any country in the world has an uncorrelated hedge. And I've said this repeatedly ad nauseum on this show. Every financial instrument is correlated. But Buffett, it's all fake, un, but, except Bitcoin, but Chimot, which is fundamentally an uncorrelated, uncorrelated hedge that Warren Buffett says has zero value. Zero in here unless I, someone pays more I for it. I think he's an exceptional uh, person. I've learned an enormous amount, both from afar right. and the few interactions I've had with him. He is completely wrong shouldn't and outdated the price, on this. Shouldn't the price have gone up during this coronavirus during the safe situation? Haven. Um, it went down. Like gold. If it was really digital gold. I, I think that you have to look more at volumes. Uh, these oh, are not high. necessarily event-driven strategies, meaning you don't, you don't you want to... You just called it digital gold. No, he I didn't. I didn't say that. No, he didn't. That's what people, people say. say. I don't think you buy... Know. I don't think when you, know, you wake up and you see a coronavirus scare in the Dow down 2,000, you should not be going in and buying Bitcoin. That is an idiotic strategy. I think a reasonable strategy is to say 1% of my net worth right. should be in something that is completely uncorrelated to the world and how the world works. You quietly and quick, you know, over some number of time, accumulate a position, and then you just never look at it again. And hope that that insurance under the mattress never has to come due. Right. But if it does, it will protect you, because then that thing will be hundreds of thousands or million dollars a coin. Okay. And then we got, we got to go, but FANG stocks, do you like them or hate them? Um, I'm, a, I'm a net seller. You're a net seller of tech companies right now? Other than Amazon. Because? Uh, I think Facebook gets regulated. Um, I think Google will have to go through a bunch of divestitures to avoid regulation. I think Netflix has turned into a consumer surplus business, and their, their viability to cash flow is de minimis. Um, and Amazon just keeps growing by 25% every year like clockwork. It's an incredible, incredible business. Okay. Thank you, Jamal. Appreciate that. Thanks, guys. Next on Squawk Pod, the tale of Buffett and Bitcoin. The idea that it has some huge intrinsic value is just a joke in my view. The Oracle of Omaha is a long-term crypto skeptic. I may start a war on currency. And Becky Quick tells us how his comments earlier this week sparked a Twitter storm. There are the Teslarians and there are the Bitcoin people who are just very rabid in their views about these things. So they get really offended. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Berkshire Hathaway's chairman and CEO Warren Buffett sat down with Becky Quick on Monday 
following the release of his annual letter to shareholders. You can hear an hour-long Ask Warren podcast in your feed for Squawk Pod. Buffett answered audience questions, in particular a few about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. Well, after that discussion, I spoke behind the sounds with Becky Quick to understand why their conversation about crypto got some surprise attention. Okay, the backstory of Warren Buffett and cryptocurrency is that Warren does not like cryptocurrency. And by the way, this also started with Charlie Munger, his vice chairman and partner, business partner for many years. Charlie Munger has said all kinds of things about Bitcoin and trashes it because, again, when Charlie thinks something, he says it. <laughs> he doesn't care who he offends <laughs> or you know what feathers get ruffled along the way. I think he called it rat poison. Originally, Warren Buffett went on to say he thinks it's rat poison squared because he and Charlie really get each other riled up and get each other going on these things. Let's listen back at Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger's thoughts on Bitcoin in two separate interviews on Squawk Box in 2018. You can have anything you want to imagine. If you just look at something and say, that's magic, you can do it with shark's teeth or seashells or, or anything. And, uh, you know, they did it with tulips in, in, in the 17th century in, in, in Amsterdam. And, and, and they'll do it again. Bitcoin is worthless artificial gold which if it succeeded would facilitate a lot of illicit activity. Bitcoin reminds me of Oscar Wilde's definition of fox hunting, the pursuit of the uneatable by the unspeakable. I think it's a scumball activity. Does that better serve you better? They just don't believe in it. They don't think it's something that is a, a, a good store of value. And honestly, it's very similar to Buffett's opinion on gold and Charlie Munger's too. Charlie Munger has told me that gold is an uncivilized form of wealth. <laughs> People hide it in their underwear or in their teeth or different places. But, you know, gold in your underwear is kind of well, it that, might be it, tough. I think he looks back to times in peril, like in war, when people have right. to hide it and carry it through. Gold is a great thing to sew into your garments if you're a Jewish family in Vienna in 1939. But I think civilized people don't buy gold. They just don't like it. They they think it's something akin to, uh, you know, the tulip. The tulip uh, run-up that you saw in the stock market from way back when, the tulip bulbs, they think it's just basically you know, handing off the problem and it becomes somebody else's issue to try and get a higher price for it of going through. They've been very public about this. And when I spoke with Warren about it this week, again, it kind of took off. It blew up my Twitter feed. I can't even go through. I haven't been able. I've gone through thousands and thousands of, of, of messages and replies that have come out to our conversation about that. I can't even get through all of them. So I just give up and I move to the top of the queue and, and try and figure out what's coming next. But if you go online, there are the Teslarians and there are the Bitcoin people who are just very rabid in their views about these things. So they get really offended by it and they're mad and they're taking out and kind of going to the streets in this. Did Justin Sun change your mind on cryptocurrencies? <laughs> For anybody who doesn't know, Justin Sun bought the dinner or the lunch that you just had from the last Glide Foundation fundraiser. He is actively involved in Bitcoin. Um, after that meeting, his PR people put out some notes saying that, you know, you kind of listen to cryptocurrency and maybe you're a little more in tune with the idea of Bitcoin now. Well, I would say this. When Justin and four friends came, they behaved perfectly and we had a good three and a half hour dinner and the whole thing was a very friendly exchange of ideas. But uh, cryptocurrencies basically have no value and they don't produce anything. So you can look at your little ledger item for the next 20 years and it says you've got 
X of this cryptocurrency or that. It doesn't reproduce. It doesn't, it doesn't deliver. It can't mail you a check. It can't do anything. And what you hope is that somebody else comes along and pays you more money for it later on. But then that person's got the problem. But in terms of value, uh, you know, zero. <laughs> a little bit more of the context. Last year, a gentleman named Justin Sun from Hong Kong mm-hmm placed the winning bid on the Glide auction, which is the annual auction that Buffett does for um, to raise money for a charity in San Francisco that addresses homeless issues. And the winning bid gets lunch with the Oracle of Omaha. Right. So what happened with Justin Sun? Because we had him on the show, I mm-hmm. remember, last spring after he placed that winning bid at something like $4 million. Yeah, I think it was $4.5 million. Um, Justin Sun is the founder of Tron, which is a cryptocurrency platform. He's also the CEO of BitTorrent. And he is somebody who has been a fan of Buffett's and really wanted to convince Mr. Buffett that his views were right when it came to crypto, or at least convince Warren, I think, to take a second look at cryptocurrencies and maybe soften his stance some. I want to become the bridge between the institution investor uh, and also finance institution, traditional investor like Warren Buffett, uh, between the crypto community and also uh, blockchain industry. Warren Buffett told us they had a great lunch. It was very fun lunch. He was with Justin Sun and four or five other people, mm-hmm. I think, who are also members of the cryptocurrency world. I, I think the lunch was very cordial, but afterward there, there had been some reports that Warren Buffett had softened his stance on it and that he was a fan of Bitcoin and, in fact, that he actually owned some Bitcoin. Um, so we brought that up with him to talk a, bit, a little bit about that. I had a very pleasant dinner, and those people were they behaved more than well. And they gave 4.6, or Justin gave 4.6 million to Glide, and that will buy a lot of meals and provide a lot of beds for people in San Francisco. So I, I thank him. In the interview, Buffett says, no, I'm not an owner. And that in itself sparked outrage. That's why my, my Twitter feed blew up. People <laughs> saying either he's a liar or Justin Sun's a liar because Justin Sun gave him uh, a cryptocurrency wallet with uh, a Bitcoin and some other currencies that were in it. So who's telling the truth? I don't have any Bitcoin. <laughs> you don't? No. Okay. No. You don't own Bitcoin. I, I will, no, I do not own one. I don't own any cryptocurrency. I never will. And, uh, you know, in, in the end, I, I may start a Warren currency. You know, maybe I can create one and I'll say there's only going to be 21 million of them and you can have a little ledger sheet from me and everything that says you have it. And and you can have it after I die and you but you can't do anything with it except sell it to somebody else. And the interesting thing, of course, is that Bitcoin's been out there a long time and people talked about how it would be used in, in various kinds of exchange. But none of our companies are doing business in, in Bitcoin or anything. Bitcoin has been used, I think, to move around a fair amount of money illegally. So the... the the people or maybe that, in countries the, where you have yeah, so the, the the logical move from the introduction of Bitcoin is to go short suitcases because the money that was taken in suitcases from one country to another, suitcases will probably fall off in demand. I mean, that, so you can look at that as the economic contribution of of Bitcoin to the society. Is it? So I got on the plane, and when I got on the plane, my my Twitter feed was already blowing up. But I got on the plane and flew back to Newark, and when I landed. I thought, oh, my gosh, there's so many things. I can't even get through this. So I called Warren and said, 
hey, what happened? Because when I asked you about cryptocurrency, you said you didn't own any. Now people are saying either you're a liar or Justin Sun's a liar. Which is it? And he explained the story to me. The truth is that Justin Sun did give him a Samsung phone with a crypto wallet on it that had some cryptocurrency in it. Um, he turned around. His, his quip to me was, well, I didn't need the money. So he, <laughs> he gave the phone and the cryptocurrency to the Glide Foundation because he figured that's what it was all about. They had been raising money for Glide and he thought that extra money should go to, should go to the Glide Foundation to help, help people out with home, who are homeless in San Francisco. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe and tell a friend, too. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.